All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am giving you my rapid reaction to the Falcons. Week three loss to the New Orleans Saints. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for a very long time at Falcfans.com, on Twitter, at Falcfans. And, of course, I'm the host of this illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast. Today is the rapid reaction, my initial thoughts to the Falcons' Week 3 loss to the New Orleans Saints in overtime by a score of 43-37. to A good day for the Falcons' offense. A not-so-good day for the defense as well as special teams. A blocked punt gift wrapped the seven points uh, for the Saints. So the defense wasn't as bad as the 43-point score. They only gave up 36 points or 37 points. Um, but they really ran out of gas, particularly in the fourth quarter of this game, giving up two touchdowns on two Saints possessions in that quarter uh, with you know the Saints being able to possess the ball for over 10, 10 and a half minutes of that fourth quarter and then getting utterly dominated in overtime with the Saints going on a 15-play, 80-yard scoring drive over the course of seven minutes to start that after winning the toss. So we will definitely talk about the defense, but let's start off with the positives and talk about this Falcons offense. A very strong day for the Falcons offense, obviously from putting 37 points on the board. You saw Calvin Ridley have a really dominant performance, catching a team-leading seven catches for 146 yards and three touchdowns. He was torching P.J. Williams left and right in the first half of this game. Uh, P.J. Williams subbed in for Ken Crawley, who was benched going into the game, but Williams was so bad in the first half that they had to put Crawley back in the game just before halftime. And then Ken Crawley, uh, and it seemed like, and we'll confirm this on the tape when I watch it later this week, but it looked like the Saints made the adjustment at halftime to put Marshawn Lattimore on Calvin Ridley in the second half to keep him contained. And for the most part, Ridley didn't really make that big of a huge peep in the second half of the game. But what that line wound up doing is putting King Crawley against Julio Jones and Julio Jones burned him for a 58 yard bomb that set up the Falcons go ahead final score to push their lead to 37 points. Julio had three catches for 74 yards in that second half. You saw that go ahead score come via Muhammad Sanu who had a relatively quiet four-catch game until the very end, but came through in the end with getting a touchdown on a rub route. You even saw Justin Hardy, who was held catchless today, but he did contribute on that rub route to Sanu, getting that quote-unquote pick. Um, And then you saw Sanu convert the ensuing two-point conversion to uh, two-point conversion, uh, successful two-point conversion to the Falcons' offense as well. You know, you saw the second consecutive week of the Falcons offense being able to successfully spread the ball around to multiple receivers, eight different guys catching a pass. Once again, Logan Paulson being a factor in the Falcons passing game. Uh, It's weird to see. Um, You know, we talked about last week being a redemption game for Steve Sarkeesian, and I think this was a continuation of that. Um, the two areas that I think we constantly talked about last season, this offseason about question marks with Sark, I think have shown up in a major ways uh, these past two games. And again, today against the Saints, I think the first one is that ability to spread the ball around one of the knocks on Sark 
was, did he understand player strengths and player weaknesses? Did he understand how to use these playmakers as the Falcons had a plethora of? And it does seem like by getting everybody involved and not sort of the offense being Julio dominated or Sanu dominated, you you see that he is doing a better job with that. You also know that that means Matt Ryan is much more comfortable in the offense. The biggest change from 2015 to 2016 was Matt Ryan's comfort uh, with the non-Julio Jones receivers in the Falcons offense, the non-Jacob Tammies, the non-Devontae Freemans. Uh, that was the biggest change from that in terms of the growth from 2015 to 2016. And I'm not going to sit here and go too crazy and talk about all oh, the 2016 offenses back that we, you know, we'll see about that. But you at least like to see this growth from Matt Ryan to say, okay, he, he is getting more comfortable with Paulson and Marvin Hall and Edo Smith and Tevin Coleman and Austin Hooper and et cetera. And, and, and now of course, Calvin Ridley. The second area where I think you got to give Sark a lot of praise is that he has done an excellent job these last two games attacking the the opposing team's biggest weaknesses. And one of the common complaints we had last year about Sark was he did not take advantage of mismatches. How often were we complaining about him not getting the running backs involved in the passing game when the Falcons were facing these really slow linebackers or completely ignoring Taylor Gabriel when he was going up against a cornerback that couldn't handle his his vertical speed. Um, And now we've gotten back-to-back performances, back-to-back weeks where the Falcons has been successfully able to attack an opposing team's biggest weakness. Uh, I thought going into week one, it would be Sidney Jones, the slot cornerback. I thought Sidney Jones played pretty well in that game and it was a non-issue going into that game. But we saw Dante Jackson identified him as the biggest weakness in that Carolina Panthers defense. And the Falcons really exploited him a ton um, in week two. I thought going into this game, it was going to be King Crawley, but he got benched. And so the Saints saw him as a major weakness. But guess what? P.J. Williams was even worse than King Crawley was. And so the Falcons went after P.J. Williams. And then they continued once Crawley came in the game. They went after him as well. Um, And then even when P.J. Williams got benched midway through the game, he had to come back later in the game because Patrick Robinson got injured uh, in the second half. And so they still were able to exploit P.J. Williams on a number of instances. Um, we, we saw the red zone efficiency continue to stay up four for four for the second week in a row. They're probably overachieving at this rate, you know, going eight for eight the last two weeks. You know, they had a couple of second chance plays to convert. You saw that last week with Matt Ryan's leaping touchdown. Um, you saw that today with Matt Ryan extending and finding an open Calvin Ridley in the back of the end zone for his third touchdown on a scramble drill. Uh, but even if they were they didn't convert those into touchdowns and they went six for eight, that would still be a very, very good efficiency rate since the best red zone offenses score on about 60% of their plays. But it do, it is a little concerning that if the Falcons were in the situation where they settled for field goals once last week and once this week and went three for four in the red zone, that you could make an argument that they would be 0-3 right now. And that, I think, is very indicative of some of the defensive woes that the team is currently experiencing. But we'll talk about that in in a moment. Um, I want to also talk about the final series of the first half. Um, but I'll save that towards the end of the show. Uh, I The last mo- part on the offense, I uh, should point out Matt Ryan had another great day. Uh, five touchdowns tying his record uh, for a single game mark. But the one area that I don't think the offense 
quite achieved on was in the running game. We saw Tevin Coleman rush for 33 yards of 15 carries, averaging little more than two yards a carry, only had a success rate of 20% on those 15 carries. Edo Smith did nothing on his two carries for minus six yards, 0% success rate, a combined success rate from the Falcons' top two running backs of 18% this week. From an efficiency standpoint, from what I've charted under the Dan Quinn era, that is the worst game the Falcons have had from a success rate standpoint um, in the Dan Quinn era. It's only the third time in the Dan Quinn era where they've been held to under 50 yards rushing. Those other two outings were against the 49ers in 2015, against the Eagles in 2016. Um, and in those two games combined, the Falcons combined for 33 points uh, without you know a healthy running game. So it certainly the fact that the Falcons were able to still get 37 points today underscores just how good they were throwing the football. So even though you know the running game was a negative for them, you know, you sort of flip the coin and it's still very reflective of a great offensive performance from the Falcons. Um, With that being said, we're going to talk about the defense in a moment, but I do want to let you guys know that Locked On NFL is becoming everyone's favorite daily national NFL podcast. Each week you have a number of great guests joining host Matt Williamson to discuss all things NFL. On Monday, it's the local experts with the biggest stories of the week. On Tuesdays, you have former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. Wednesdays, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus joins the show. And on Thursdays, the great Mike Sando of ESPN. And on Friday, make sure you get Matt's picks of the week. That's Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I have a lot of answers. Um, I have most of the answers, not all the answers, but I have most of the answers. And the few that I don't have is revolving around who's going to win each week. But if you guys have those answers, then you got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell people to go to my bookie. Trust me, they're the best bet you'll make this season. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online, and their mobile site is very easy to use. They have in-game live betting over and under on fantasy points scored and the most rewarding player perks in the biz. My bookie is slammed with new bettors and wants to help you out by giving you an extra $25 free play if you deposit $100 or more after 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Use the promo code LOCKEDON25 to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget that promo code LOCKEDON25 to get an extra $25 after you deposit after 7 p.m. It's up to you, but I'd wait till after dinner and take the extra money. You play, you win, you get paid. So let's talk about the Falcons' defense. I don't really have a whole lot of positives to say about the Falcons' defense. Uh, they started poorly. They finished poorly. I thought they were okay in the meantime, in the in-between time, between those two points. Um, but I think okay is a very relative term given the injury-depleted defense and the l- low bar that is basically set. Like, basically, oh, if you if you give up you know, 300 yards in two quarters, that's okay for this Falcons' defense as long as you're only giving up 17 points instead of 37 points or something like that. But like, um, you know, speaking of injury depletion, two more injuries are added to the list. Ricardo Allen, Foye Olakun look like Ricardo Allen tore his Achilles at the start of overtime. Uh, we'll find out it's sort of the official word, but this does not look good at all. Foye exited the game late in the fourth quarter after getting his ankle rolled up on. Again, we'll get updates about that later. 
Uh, hopefully, you know, in the next 24 hours as you guys are listening to this. Um, but it looks very likely that Rico's done for the year. And if, if Foyer only winds up with a sprain, you know, that keeps him out for a week or two, I'll certainly count my blessings because uh, he could have easily had a broken ankle. That's basically what happened to Patrick Robinson in this game. Uh, I think it was Ryan Schrader that rolled up on him and, and he wound up getting carted off with an ankle injury. Foyer was basically able to get off the field on his own own power, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I, you know, I never judge anything by that. I Watching Jamal Anderson walk off the field in 1999 with a torn ACL is burned into my retinas. And so walking off with your own power, like that basically just means you didn't tear your Achilles because that's the only indication where you can't do that. But um, that being said, you know, as far as this game is concerned, poor tackling, uh, poor pass rush. And, um, you know, I'm going to focus mostly on the pass rush because that's been a sort of narrative that I've been pushing for months now, all off season and going into the season about whether this defense was going to make a, a leap up and with the injuries to Jones and Neal. And this was one of the things I tried to explain to people two weeks ago, like the, the Falcons back seven is, is done. It's a wrap. Like there was no, you know, treading water with those guys out of the lineup. The only way that they would be able to tread water defensively was if their pass rush was going to step up and they haven't these last two games. They only had two hits on Drew Brees. You know, everybody's going to sit here and clamor for Earl Thomas. They're going to say, go out there and sign Eric Reed or sign Navarro Bowman or whatever. But those are band-aid solutions, guys. Even if, let's say they trade for Earl Thomas, who's going to want a long-term contract, by the way. So you're going to have to have, you know, wind up in the next, you know, year or two, have three of the highest paid safeties in the league. But that being said, um, you know, let's say they go out and get Earl Thomas. And next year, you're going to have Earl Thomas, Ricardo Allen, Demonte Casey, and Keanu Neal, and still not going to have a good pass rush. So is Earl Thomas going to fix that problem? No, he's a Band-Aid solution. All these back seven people that people want the Falcons to sign are back Band-Aid solutions. You know, Stephen Means did nothing today, to much to my chagrin. Brooks Reed was better than he was the first two games of the season. So it's nice for the members of us, like myself, that are part of the Brooks Reed fan club, uh, to know that the tank isn't completely empty, but he still did nothing. You know, uh, Vic Beasley had a sack. He got a great jump off the snap. He was practically off sides. But, you know, c- congrats to Vic Beasley for making one play today. Um, you know, you saw Grady Jarrett constantly dropping in the in the coverage on three-man rushes. Uh, I don't mind the three-man rush sporadically when it's used sporadically, but the Falcons kind of went overboard with it. The first series, I was like, okay, like, yeah, you drop a guy in the coverage, you, you force a four-yard completion underneath, and, and you force a, a third and goal or whatnot. The Falcons didn't get a stop. But then it seemed like every time we got into the red zone, every time we got within the 15-yard line, they went to the three-man rush, and it just became less and less effective as the game went on. Um, but even even if you did have Grady Jarrett on those plays pinning his ears back, what difference is it going to make? You know, you only got two hits on the quarterback. Maybe you get, what, three hits, four hits? If Tack plays, you get five hits? Guess what? The Saints had six hits on Matt Ryan today. They sacked him three times, and they still gave up 37 points. The point being that six hits is not good enough when you have major question marks in the secondary like the Saints do. And so you know two hits or four hits or five hits for the Falcons defense isn't going to be good enough when they have those same major question marks in their secondary. They just don't have the issues at cornerback, but the rest of their secondary, the rest of their back seven is very questionable. 
in comparison to the Saints. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know, people could be upset with wanting to replace Duke Riley and wanting to place Jordan Richards and especially in light of, you know, the the new injuries now if if Ola Kuhn and and Allen are are out for extended period of times, attack doesn't come back soon. But the bottom line is this, guys, like the Falcons, those are band-aid solutions. The Falcons have to address their pass rush. Whether they do it this year or next year, it's it's been negligence on their part. And I don't want to ne- make it out to be like this is a failure of Dan Quinn. This is a situation that has been building for years. These are, the Falcons are feeling the ramifications of years of negligence in regard to their pass rush. But you look at some of the ripple effects of recent moves, drafting Calvin Ridley over Taven Bryant. Now, obviously, today, that looks like a brilliant move for the Falcons. But there's a, you know, even for a positive move, it's not to sit here and say the Falcons made a mistake drafting Calvin Ridley. But there are ripple effects for every move, even the good ones. And even though you make major strides on your offense, you don't make the same strides on your defense if that's Taven Bryant, right? Not getting Michael Bennett, not getting Khalil Mack, not resigning Poe, not resigning Claiborne, not going out and signing that free agent or this free agent, not drafting another pass rusher, and not only Calvin Ridley, but Isaiah Oliver and Deidre Sinat. Now, again, let me be clear, guys. I'm not saying that those were mistakes. I'm not trying to sit here and be like, the Falcons screwed up. Uh, too often, people want to make it into a blame game, and that's not the point. I'm talking about there are ripple effects. There are consequences to decisions that have been made in the last six months. There's consequences to decisions that were made six years ago when the Falcons passed on pass rushers. A whole lot of my whole Vic Beasley thing has little to do with Vic Beasley and has to do with six years prior to Vic Beasley and the negligence of that coaching staff forcing the Falcons' hand so that we've now basically, in my humble opinion, hot take here coming, but my humble opinion, we've wasted two years trying to make Vic Beasley into this great pass rusher when we should have spent those two years trying to make him into the next Bruce Irvin slash Anthony Barr type of player because we were desperate to get a pass rush because we thought we could turn basically a Connor Barwin caliber pass rusher that Vic Beasley is, in my opinion, and hoping that we could turn him into John Abraham slash Von Miller. But guess what? John Abraham and Von Miller ain't walking through that door, my friends. But that's a debate for another day. So the solution to this, the Falcons got to make a move. Um, I don't know. I don't expect that to happen tomorrow. So it goes back to what I've said before when in regards to guys like Richards and, and Riley, you got to have some patience. We got to see, you know, my hope is that Today's performance was the worst the pass rush will look all season long. And with Tack and, and Shelby coming back eventually and with Means improving and, and with Vic Beasley improving, Grady Jarrett getting more opportunities and Sanat improving, um, we'll see improved pass rush. But the bottom line from my perspective is the Falcons, even if all those things come to fruition, the odds are very low that this pass rush is going to be good enough. And so my hope is the trade deadline's October 30th. I have no idea right now. I know people are going to ask who should we trade for. Like I, we got five weeks to figure that out, you know. And I'll keep my eye to the ground. My my initial reaction is get a D tackle because then at least you can still hold out the hope that Vic Beasley, you know, is your third or fourth best pass rusher can still be on the field in those situations. And it's no knock on Jack Crawford who's doing the best he can, but. The best he can is not good enough. And so get a D tackle that you can plug in beside Grady Jarrett instead of Jack Crawford, instead of Terrell McClain, until Deidre Sonat is ready, 
and hopefully that guy could be a long-term piece. But, you know, I don't see anybody out there shopping Sheldon Richardson or Timmy Jernigan like we've seen the last two off the last two seasons. So maybe someone else is out there, but we'll see. Uh, that being said, uh, I have some more odds and ends that I want to wrap up, including talking about that last offensive series of the first half. But I know some of you guys were scratching your head this summer when we did those shows devoted to the AFC North. But that was a primer to get you guys geared up for the next two weeks of Locked On Falcons shows so that you Locked On Falcons listeners will be better educated on what is to come in the next two games. To make sure you're still all caught up, check out Locked On Bengals with host James Rapine and Locked On Steelers with host Tony Serino, two friends of this podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Don't you guys love a night out? Maybe you want to go out and see your favorite band or head to the theater or be there in person for the next Falcons home game cheering on in the crowd and with vivid seats you can now you can attend any concert show or sporting event of your choice at a great price vivid seats is the top source for all live events you want to go to you can sort by price or look for seats in the section or row of your choice to make things even better vivid seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $200 or more to save even more money go to the app store or google play and download the vivid seats app right now use that promo code locked on for $20 off your orders of 200 or more as a new customer of vivid seats Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your orders of $200 or more as a new customer. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. Okay, we're going to talk about that final series of the first half, but first I want to talk about one thing you know, about this game. And I'm not going to necessarily portray this as I'm happy that Tevin Coleman in the running game struggled. I'm happy that Tevin Coleman missed that block on that sack for Matt Ryan. But if there is a positive that comes from the the poor performance of the Falcons running game and their number two running back is at least there's no more going to be, there's going to be a lot fewer knuckleheads this week talking about how the Falcons should trade Devontae Freeman or how he's overpaid and how the Falcons can get rid of him. It's like, I just want those people to shut up. Um, you know, I don't have a problem if you think Coleman's better than Freeman. I don't really think it matters who you care. It's, you know, there's no right, right or wrong answer on that question. It's a, your preference. Who do you prefer as a running back? It's fine. But the actual correct opinion is that the Falcons are better with both of those guys healthy and playing well in the lineup. And you, to have the insistence of several prominent Falcons media slash blogosphere slash podcast people to suggest that keeping only one of them, that's just simply wrong. So I, I'm just glad those people will shut up for a week. You know, they'll probably be back a week from now. But, you know, I'll just... You know, sleep easily this week. Um, let's talk about the final series of the first half. I don't think, you know, I'm not necessarily mad about it. Obviously, the Falcons messed up and, um, you know, gave the Saints too many, you know, too much time and too much yardage to score and get that go-ahead touchdown or that go-ahead field goal going into halftime. Um, and for those of you that missed it, you know, the the Falcons had just gone up fourteen to thirteen on a seventy five yard touchdown on Calvin Ridley. Shout out to you, Calvin Ridley, burning P 
PJ Williams, um, and then got a three and out on defense and got their ball back at their own nine yard with one thirty six left in the first half. They ran the ball up the middle with Tevin Coleman, got an eight yards. That was actually, I think, his first successful run of the game, by the way. Uh, they then ran a draw to Coleman on second and two. He got stopped by Sheldon Rankins for a three-yard loss. They threw the ball on third and five, and pressure from David Onyemata forced Ryan to try to step up in the pocket, and he was unbalanced and unable to complete a pass to Austin Hooper. Uh, and the Falcons were forced to punt then, and the Saints were able to start their, their drive at the 40, their own 42-yard line with 40 seconds left, and they moved down the field within like two plays and kicked the field goal uh, with like 10 seconds left or, or whatnot. Um... You know, I imagine what happened is Dan Quinn made the decision, the executive decision, that he wanted to go into halftime with that 14-13 lead and with the Falcons getting the ball back at the start of the second half. And, you know, they wanted the milk clock. They wanted to force, you know, even if they didn't get points there, they wanted to force the Saints to burn their last two timeouts so they would have fewer opportunities um, to, to move the ball down the field in the final seconds if they did happen to get the ball back. But the problem was the Falcons barely moved the ball. They only gained five yards of offense. They needed to get a couple, you know, string at least one or two first downs together in order to make that a possibility. And so I know a lot of people are going to throw Sark under the bus for this one. I'm not going to sit here and absolve him of all blame, but I don't necessarily really have an issue with his play calling in those instances. You know, obviously the first down run, you don't have an issue with that. I don't really have an issue with them calling the draw play on second and two. You know, that play would have worked if Schweitzer had hit his block on Rankins. He didn't. And Rankins just rolled right off him and, and wrapped up Tevin Coleman immediately. Uh, then you had Jake Matthews getting beat by Anyamata on the speed rush. You know, you're letting the left tackle get beat by a defensive tackle on a speed rush. Like, how does that happen? You know, um, it looked like Matt Ryan could have had Julio Jones on a pivot route there. But Cam Jordan dropped in the coverage right into that throwing window, and, and Matt Ryan basically wasn't able to pull the trigger on that throw. For me, at least, I put more on lack of execution on the offensive line for that, that quote-unquote debacle of a series than necessarily play calling. Maybe you could certainly make a case that there's two or three better calls that could have accomplished their goals better. But I feel, once again, that you know my biggest criticism of the criticism of Sark is that it's kind of a lot of nitpicking about plays that don't work that more often than not come down to just simple lack of execution, not because the play um, had a poor design. Now, there's certainly, don't get me wrong, there's certainly are plenty of plays that we can complain about where what was Sark thinking on that play, and certainly some of the red zone calls that he's made um, you know, this season and, and last season where he's running these sort of really vanilla route concepts in the red zone, you can certainly question uh, those plays. But I think in terms of that specific series, I'm not necessarily throwing you know the blame at Sark. I'm not throwing it at Dan Quinn. I think they made the right decision to do what they did. I don't think there was anything wrong with it. It was conservative. But the you know what's the you know the opposite is you want to try to get points. You're going to go 91 yards. In 96 seconds, I mean, it's possible, but what happens if you throw, you try to throw the ball on first down, and it's incomplete? You know, you be, you know, like at least the Falcons running the football in that situation bled like I don't know, like 40 seconds off the clock. Instead, if you throw the ball on first down, going into your two minute drill, which is basically just throwing the ball every snap, and you it goes incomplete, all of a sudden, boom, four seconds go off the clock, and then like, is that better? I don't think it is. So. um I just think it boils down to execution 
And, and you can certainly make the case that if the Falcons don't give up those three points there, they probably win. I think I would also make the case that if the Falcons don't give up that block punt in the third quarter, they probably win. Um, I think I told you guys on a previous Q&A that, you know, they, they were on borrowed time when it came to the the punt team and, and sort of it's been a miracle that they haven't had a punt blocked all last year. And, you know, the fact that we got it in this game. Unfortunately, you know, we, one was hoping that the one time they would allow a block punt was when they were up, you know, 37-7 to 7 in a game. But, you know, Falcons can't have good things. But um, I think this is, you know, those are two points sort of illustrate what is going to be the major issue for the Falcons moving forward. Their margin of error is going to be very small given their defensive issues. And so one or two mistakes on offense, one or two mistakes on special teams could wind up costing them games. They have some tough matchups coming up. They got Cincinnati next week. They only scored 21 points against the Panthers in week three, but they put up 230 burgers the previous two weeks. So it's not as if they can't score points at bunches, um, especially if Joe Mixon returns next week, which doesn't seem likely right now, but we'll, we'll see. That'll be something we'll keep an eye on. They also have Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay coming up the next two weeks. We know Pittsburgh, when they get Antonio Brown and Juju cooking, they can score points. We Tampa Bay and Fitzmagic have been killing it this year. So, you know, one hopes that the Falcons will get an, a, at least somewhat of a break to not need to put up a 30-burger come week seven when they play the Giants. But the Giants always seem to play the Falcons well, much to my chagrin, um, or the Falcons tend to play the Giants very poorly, much to my chagrin. Uh, but it does look like, at least for the next three weeks, oh, the Falcons' ability to win these next three games, which are winnable, is going to be resting primarily on the offensive shoulders to look like they, what they have done these last two weeks. Um, and, you know, truth be told, it's they're capable of doing it, but, you know, putting up five straight 30 burgers... That's a tall order, you know. That's a tall order. So we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see if the Falcons' defense can do a little bit more um, in these next couple of games to help out the Falcons' offense, so they don't have to necessarily be operating at ninety nine to one hundred percent efficiency. Um, and and that's basically it, guys. Uh, tough loss for the Falcons. Not the end of the season. Nothing to be totally disheartened by, you know. The defense was what we thought it was. The pass rush was what I thought it was, but I'm sure many of you guys out there are a little bit more disappointed um, with that unit. And the offense wasn't what I thought it was because you guys know more than anybody else. I was very skeptical of the offense. So that's the positive I'm I'm taking away from this week. The offense is cooking. Hopefully they can keep cooking uh, next week against the Bengals. So. That's it, guys. We'll be back tomorrow with a guest to talk more about this Falcons-Saints game, followed up by a preview on a crossover episode on Wednesday, looking ahead to this Cincinnati Bengals game with Locked On Bengals host James Rippey. Until then. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.